This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Oh, hey there. Welcome to Elk Shape Podcast. I hope you're listening to this as you're driving to Elk Camp. Welcome to the 2020 elk season. We are dropping this podcast as September is about to begin. Something that uh, I don't know about you, but I've been working towards since uh, October 1st, 2019. Trying to make myself better every day and do something to improve and really pick apart my weaknesses. I'm so stoked for you guys to get out, be safe, have fun, hit it hard every day today. We are bringing on Adam Dial from Wyoming. This guy is a law enforcement dude. He's killed a lot of big bulls on over-the-counter general season tags. He's uh, a former collegiate football player and just kind of a an all-around stud. And I just like people like him. Super blue collar, works his butt off, hunts his butt off, has a lot of knowledge to drop on this podcast. It'll be perfect timing as you drive to Elk Camp. Wanted to thank Vortex Optics for sponsoring this podcast. And I wanted to offer you guys that are still at home and want to get some Vortex swag, use the discount code ELKSHAPE, save 20% off. And lastly, Wilderness Athlete, if you've never purchased from them, ELKSHAPE30 will save you 30% off your first order. Get the Hydrate and Recover energy and focus and the green formula take that with you in the backcountry to help create an undeniable advantage in the mountains we're going to dive in on elk strategies elk tactics and how adam cuts up the elk woods and then when we're done we're going to get you pumped up for elk season so let's get to it here we go what's going on not much not much trying to stay awake i'm on nights right now so oh man what times you get off Oh, I didn't work last night. It's just a struggle sleeping during the, because I don't I don't switch over to a night 
or a, a, yeah, I guess a night schedule on my days off because there's nothing to do at night. I don't play video games. So <laughs> I just kind of suffer, you know. <laughs> oh, you're not a gamer. How old are you, man? I am, I'll be 36 next week. So nice. I mean, I guess I could probably get good at Mario Kart on Super Nintendo again. I think that would, that's like riding a bike. But other than that, I don't, I don't think I'm not good at any video games. Yeah, being our age is so much cooler to go back and try to remaster what we were good at when we were, like, kids versus try to even step into the arena of games nowadays. It's ridiculous. My uh, my brother-in-law had me try to play a Call of Duty thing online, and it, was, uh, it wasn't even fun. I see why people throw controllers. <laughs> it was too much for me. Oh, no doubt. Uh, yeah, we had, get, we had one of the first Call of Duties when I first got married. And my wife and I would like literally get so pissed off at each other. Not healthy. Dude, video games are, God, they're so, there's some adults that are like into it. And that's just not me, man. Nope. What are you like, obviously your law enforcement, uh, are you with the city or, or where are you at? I work for the county. Okay. So I work for the sheriff's office here. Um, it's, it's an awesome job. Love the place I work, man. People are great. Community's great. Um, get to deal with a lot of country folks. You know, it's it's pretty good. Got a lot of support around here, so Wyoming's a good state to do this job in. That's cool. What's the nearest uh, town that you're working out of? So I live in Casper, so I okay. work out of Casper. Um, okay. I'm kind of a, we call them, I guess, town deputy. I don't go in town because that's uh, – the Casper Police Department, but we have guys like resident deputies out at the lakes and stuff. So kind of say the outskirts of town, I guess. Well, how long have you been in law enforcement? Since 2013. Okay. So you made a switch? Well, it was between uh, this and, and fire. I was trying to get into both at the same time, and this one stuck first. Um, and I ended up liking it a lot, so stuck with it. Either way, you wanted to be a first responder. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Except for now you actually got to work that you're not a firefighter. I know. I don't get to sleep. I'd be good at video games, I guess, if I played as well as a firefighter. Dude, we can't talk crap about firefighters. I'll get, I know too many and they're going to give me a hard time. But uh, a lot of my good friends are in law enforcement and they they love making fun of firefighters. I think we're all just jealous. My uh, My brother-in-law, who lives with me actually right now, works for the fire department here in Casper. So we got a a first responder household here. So Yeah, that's great. So as a law enforcement guy, like people don't understand. You there's things you see that you can't unsee. There's a lot of not fun things working with the public and uh I know there's good and there's bad, but like what's going on in Wyoming with the whole you know, BLM and defund police stuff that happened, you know, a couple weeks ago. Like, is that even, that is, probably doesn't even exist in Wyoming or is that like a thing? Dude, honestly, I've seen the complete opposite of that here. It's been nothing but support. And it's almost like, this sounds weird, but it's almost like people that, you know, they may not have like disliked law enforcement, but they, you know, are so far opposite of some of the like riots and stuff that they're, they've come out like people that I, you know, used to see in jail all the time are thanking me and, you know, like saying thanks for what you do. We really respect you and everything. I think, I mean, 
Wyoming's such a conservative state that we've, I mean, it's, I've, I've noticed an increase in support around here for sure. Well, that makes me happy to hear, uh, this I'm ready to get to hunting season, man. Like I've 2020 has been for everybody just weird and an election year. I'm just ready to get past all that. But first let's go elk. Let's go elk hunting. Um, when does your season start for you? Like you live in Wyoming, so I'm just going to be upfront with you. Super jealous. Like I'm not jealous of your winter and your wind, but you got more antelope than people. Uh, you got mule deer, you got, you guys can shoot usually a mule, um, an antelope buck, antelope doe or two. You can get your mule deer buck. Uh, you got a good chance in the limited quota draws. And gosh, if you don't do that, you can pick up a general. I mean, you guys have it pretty good. I'm not going to lie. So what's, what's your season looking like? When are you going to start getting out and going after it? So I, I mean, I'm actually scouting this evening. I got a mule deer scout. I got a, I got a couple areas I got to drive into this afternoon and go hike into and check. Uh, but September 1, I have that off. Um, that's one of the reasons I do the job I do. I get four days off every single week. So, you know, I take three days of vacation. I got 11 off. It's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, it's, dude, it's awesome. And I, you know, no one on my shift hunts other than one other guy. And, uh, he's super easy to work with. My sergeant gives me every time, every day I want off, off in the fall. And, uh, so September 1st, I'm starting, I'll probably roll mule deer that first week. Cause I want to try to kill a big velvet buck. And then after that, it'll be all elk till October. Then elk, my September is elk hunting for the most part, especially once the rut starts. So being in Casper, a guy could probably head in any direction for mule deer as well as elk. Um, are you a lifetime resident of Wyoming? No, I am from Colorado. Uh, and I still, I hunt deer in Colorado every year as well. But I moved to Wyoming in 2003. I played football at the University of Wyoming in Laramie and was always really big into hunting obviously you can't hunt when they're paying for your school they don't let you miss practice in class to go shoot elk so uh, <laughs> i yeah i kind of kind of had to bow out of that you know once i was done with football um it that's who you are your whole life you know you grow up you're a football player then you go and play through college and then you're all of a sudden you're done and you like don't know what to do anymore so i just turned it all all my attention in elk hunting. Um, that first year I was done. So I'd shot cow elk, sometimes multiple cow elk every single year, you know, January, December seasons. And I was just over the meat hunts. And uh, my dad called it my first bull for me in 2007, shot him black powder. And it's been game over from there. Shot a bull every year, except last year um, with my bow or black powder. Uh, Last year, my dad had a good tag up here in Wyoming, limited quota tag, so I hunted up with him. First year since 07, I haven't hunted up for myself. Love it. So you brought up football. First off, are we even going to have a football season this year, man? I don't know. I'm sure open so. Um, at least here in Wyoming. I mean, I, gosh, it generates so much money for our state, and it's such a big deal. I mean, that's, that's the only real college team we got up here. How – I mean – how are people even going to like NFL fans are, I think like major league fans can deal with missing their season or, or whatever, or having a, a condensed season and same with NBA. But like, dude, my personal opinion is NFL fans are like not going to have it. And then even more so 
college football fans, they're even crazier. They're like they're not they're gonna riot. They need their football. Yep. I know it. I I don't know. I, I'm I hope to God that we do. I really do. But I you know, this the pandemic thing's just it's got everything so messed up and we don't see a ton of it here in Wyoming, but I know the big gatherings are you know, they're putting the I guess restrictions on that so i don't know what they're gonna do with it hmm. okay well what position did you play so i played kind of like a high i was a rush end a defensive end but we ran a zone blitz package and i was there and i'm a little dude i was never a big guy so i mean being 225 you know offensive linemen get a hold of you weight moves weight you don't really have much of a chance so i uh i played they called it a buck but it's a, it's basically just a defensive and pass rushing position okay and so were you literally going after the quarterback every time or were you kind of like a hybrid linebacker in a sense kind of a hybrid linebacker in a sense I was always well the majority of time in a three-point stance um, but we ran a zone blitz package so there's a lot of times I would you know replace the will linebacker if he was blitzing I'd take his coverage responsibilities mm-hmm. um, which you know it was it was good. It was good for me, especially at my size, just because you start going. If I wasn't like going inside really hard with, the, you know, knowing exactly where I was going to hit, you can't tie up with some of those dudes being being two twenty, two twenty five. It's just not going to go well. Yeah, it's called physics. Uh, did you <clears throat> did you have a good strength and conditioning coach? Here's why I ask. That was the pathway I was pursuing was to be a strength and conditioning coach. Mainly I wanted to do football. Mainly I actually wanted to get to the NFL. And I kind of carved out a pretty much a path to do it. But then I fell in love with elk hunting and I had to choose. I literally pivoted because of elk hunting. And so like one of the guys I, I worked under, I don't even know where he's at nowadays, but his last name's Lavat, Darren Lavat. And I didn't think he was that good initially until I got to really see him work. And he's one of the best strength coaches I've ever seen work. And I think he had a huge impact on a lot of guys. But I've also heard of Bad Apples. Did you guys have a good experience at your strength and conditioning department? The, the best. I mean, my uh, coach, Scott Bennett, was my strength coach in college. He won an accolade my junior year. I don't know if it was strength coach of the year. I believe it was. But he, he won something. I remember it was a pretty big deal. And he was an awesome dude. And I've always been a gym rat ever since I was about 12 years old. I started, me and my brothers, they both played college football as well. We would lift in our barn. My dad had a rickety old weight set that we'd have, and we'd be out there squatting and benching and coveralls in the wintertime. <laughs> and so uh, he, uh, I used to like do some guinea pig stuff for, for Coach Bennett. And I mean, he's, I, I impl- implement like most of the stuff now in my training that I learned in college from him. It was awesome. What are some of those principles and you know i should say like we don't talk about strength and conditioning enough on the elk shape podcast seems like we're always talking about what elk call to make but uh let's talk about it like what are some of the principles distilled down that you still take away from your strength and conditioning coach bennett so like i no matter what i'm training like i always my first lift of the day is always a big compound movement whether it be a squat you know some sort of vertical or horizontal press or some sort of hinge. And, uh, like, I just don't believe, especially if you're going to, like, people talk all the time, you know, especially in elk hunting, like, oh, I carried a 110-pound pack. Wait, you got, for how many miles, you know, you got to have strong enough 
legs, core, back and hips to do that. It doesn't just happen. And, you know, getting older, like I, I feel like, I mean, there's just no substitute for strength, you know? And so I mean, I do heavy barbell stuff still. I'll stay in the like one to five rep range on certain things. And I'll go into like more hypertrophy work from there. And I've, I've always been a pretty explosive guy and I've tried the whole, you know, time under tension stuff. And I have some buddies that, that are bodybuilders and I just don't like it. So I've just kind of tried to maintain my athleticism the older I get. Cause I know that's the first thing that's going to go. Mm. I like that push pull squat hinge. I think people hear that. Maybe they don't understand what exactly that means, but let's talk about, why don't you do this? Why don't you give me like one to three movements that are compound for those categories. So let's start with a pull. So a pull would be RDL, um, deadlift, uh, single leg deadlift. And I mean, I guess you, or and then I guess in your upper body pulling to your pull-ups and row variations. Yep. Um, as far as those, I'm, I'm a huge fan of pull-ups, especially weighted pull-ups. Uh, I, if you're a dude, and you're going to tell me that you're strong, but you can't pull yourself up over a bar 10 times. You should rethink what you're doing. Okay. Can't, I don't disagree with anything so far. This is great. How about uh, for the squat? Squat, my, my favorite's a front squat, but that's just because of my leverages. But I think as long as you're squatting, if you're, especially hunting, like whether it be a goblet squat, you know, front squat, back squat, anything, just, it's just a fundamental human movement that, you know, you're going to have to stand up with a heavy back at some point, so you might as well learn to do it. And a hinge. Yeah, that was that would have been my the deadlift stuff. I was talking about RDL, you know, regular deadlift, single leg RDL, stuff like that. Cool. Well, for those listening, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's been around a good strength coach. So we, we teach that at Elk Shape Camps to kind of like major in the majors, not the minors. So the push-pull squat hinge, and then as far as – we sneak a press in there as well, but press, push, basically go overhead, like you said, vertical or horizontal. Mix it up quite a bit, um, but you can't get away from the fundamentals. You can just like in archery, just like in elk calling, you can't make a the sweetest lip ball ever if you can't make a basic cow calf sound with the diaphragm read. You just can't. So know your fundies. Same with shooting and technique. Uh, that's cool to hear. The, the whole conditioning thing for me has really evolved uh, as a former gym owner. Now I'm not doing that anymore. I spend majority of my time training at home. And it's a little weird, to be honest with you, Adam. Like, at first, I kind of miss training with my bros at the gym, like kind of that CrossFit community. But as of late, especially leading up to hunting season, I don't have any time that's free. And if I do, then something's wrong because there's just a lot to, a lot of work going into elk season. Uh, so I just sneak out to the old elk parking gym, is what I call it, and uh, get after it. And I, I will do that every day. I will literally break a sweat every day and shoot my bow every day. And it's just part of what I do. So do you train at home or do you train at, you know, at the department? Where do you get your workouts in? I, I train at a gym. Uh, we have a really good gym here in Casper. It's got a track inside of it. Um, they got sleds to push weights to carry any, I mean more, there's a CrossFit side and then the regular, like I call gym bro side. Mm -hmm. um, I don't do, I don't do CrossFit, but I do lift over there quite a bit because, uh, the layout. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, there's always a squat rack open, you know, and a lot of stuff I do involves a rack. So it's, it's an awesome gym. So I do train there. Um, I was training at home during the whole COVID lockdown thing. And I honestly didn't see any downside to it at all. I made a big sandbag. Uh, I called her Bertha. She's about 160 pounds. I just made it out of old, um, <laughs> old game bags. <laughs> I just went and bought a bunch of sand. It's loose. It's sloppy. Um, my sergeant, he's a big dude. He was coming over and training with me. We were doing paused squats, holding that thing to our chest. It's super set with like lunges. And so, I mean, man, it was, it was, it was an awesome switch up actually. And oh, I, I dig that strength from doing it. So, yeah, that's kind of like one of, like I have some fancy stuff in my gym, but it's basically a, just a kind of a CrossFit style gym. And, uh, I hate when people get turned off by the word CrossFit. It's not what it is is just just basic functional movement stuff you know i don't have a lot of machines in there but i need like a big ass sandbag or d-ball the gym i used to own man we had like a bunch of 150 pound d-balls just you know big heavy sand weight and then we'd have uh we had a 200 pound sandbag and we had stones and there's a lot of stuff you can do including just holding 160 pound like that big bertha if you did a set of back squats, say you were doing triples or hitting fives, and maybe it was every two minutes on the minute you're doing a set, and I don't know your percentages, but maybe you're at 70 80% of max, in between sets, we'll just hold a sandbag at our waist, and you have to fire your glutes and core to hold 160 pounds in front of you standing up. And we that would be our, quote, rest. Some of the best best workouts I've ever done is holding things statically and that's the closest I'll ever come to time under tension is anything where you're holding heavy shit under tension not worried about my arms growing or the size of my arms like bicep curls or tricep I don't do arms dude so I think we'd be able to work out together no problem Um, yeah I I still do I, I mean there, I still do have kind of a meathead side to me that way. So I'll, I'll, I'll have an arm day this time of year when hunting season comes. It, it's the first thing to go. It, the only thing I do is I, I lift three days a week and it'll be compound stuff and I get out. Um, but this time of year, you know, I got seven days a week to train. So I'll, I'll usually, I'll usually chase a, a juicy pump at some point in that week, you know, <laughs> <laughs> fill the sleeve, baby. Yeah, dude. Take, get an extra medium shirt and go shopping at Walmart after, but that's awesome. (laughs) Um, for the most part, it's, you know, it's all and So I have, and I don't know if it's from football or not, but I have two bulge discs in my back, one at L5 S1 and one at, uh, I think it's L2 L3. So I got to kind of like play around with what I do sometimes. And the one thing I learned that, uh, a strong core was not necessarily a stable core. And I was, when I had what have like my back episodes, I was always like, well, I can, you know, I can front squat 315 for a set of five. Obviously, I have a strong core. Cool. You sneeze and throw your back out. Something's not right there. And loaded carries and holds have been a life changer for me because they've increased like my hip stability and core stability so much by doing that stuff. I'm going to unpack what he said there because you might have just missed that. You know, people listen to podcasts when they're driving and sometimes they don't just Sometimes I got to pump the brakes and say, did you just hear what Adam said? So like my wife, great example. She basically has some bulging discs. Uh, She jumped back into the gym too soon after having our first kiddo. And so the kids just wreaked havoc on her and she's super athletic, collegiate athlete, 
way better at me than everything. Um, and she's just better at life than me is what I tell her. But her back sucks now. Like she can't deadlift. She cannot do burpees. She cannot do a lot of things that she used to enjoy doing because it'll just, it's not worth it. But what the only thing we've found to really bulletproof her midline is weighted carries. And what we do, and I think this is similar to you, is she will hold a kettlebell um, up in the front rack position of one side only and walk down the driveway and back. And then she will do a one-arm suitcase, so just one arm holding onto the kettlebell down back and then walk overhead with just one arm holding the kettlebell overhead. And your body has to stabilize when weight's on just one side. And we have found those type of movements to be the best, not planking, not toes to bar or knees to elbows or sit-ups. It's stabilization under load where you're on to one side. Is that what you're talking about? Absolutely. And I, I do a lot of single arm stuff, double arm stuff. I carry overhead. Um, Zercher carries one of my favorite ones because mm. uh, I can go heavy on that, you know throw 250 on and the crooks your elbows and take it for a 40 yard walk um there's really no i mean you can't cheat that gravity's real every day and if you're fighting it for that distance i mean you can carry packs you can do stuff and it teaches especially with good posture like if i you know maintain my feet hips and shoulders throughout that walk and like focus on the carry being quality not so much just like going a certain distance and being sloppy with it it's it's helped me tremendously Nice. Well, one thing we do at Elk Shape Camp is we kind of try to expose everybody to what we've talked about and really just try to figure out what they suck at the most and kind of reprioritize their training. So if you were to come to Elk Shape Camp, what would I find as you're chinking your armor? And you probably already know it. So like, what would you say you kind of put more at the top of the list? Um, I'm assuming you're already pretty good at power output and moving large loads, long distances. Like, where do you need to spend some of your time? I would probably say my biggest weakness always has been is mobility. Uh, I've always had decent shoulder mobility, but I notice as I get older, that's starting to go away a little bit. My hip mobility sucks. Um, always has. And now I sit for up to 12 hours at a time with 25 pounds of gear on. So that doesn't help it either. Um, being able to get myself in optimal positions to not hurt myself and to have optimal power output is probably my biggest weakness. I would say, well, that's, that's being honest. And I, if I were honest, my hips are getting tighter the older I get. And I don't like it uh, because it requires me to, I don't know what time it is. You're an hour ahead of me, but it's like nine o'clock and I here, and I've already had two sessions with the hyper ice, uh, you know, the compression gun just into my hips, TFL and IT bands and stretching out hips. And I'm not accustomed to doing a lot of that, you know, but, uh, that's one of the best things I bought was just one of those, like, I think they're called the, re, uh, re, uh, what are they, compression guns or whatever? Percussion, yeah, percussion massager. Yes. I bought a really pretty expensive one, quite honestly, because the market was saturated. I could tell there was a bunch made in China, and um, shout out to China. So I was like, I'm getting a good one, so I got to do that quite a bit. That's been a game changer, and then I'm the same as you, like shoulder mobility, like, I shoot a bow. I do a lot of stuff like gymnastics. I can walk on my hands. I did that in a workout yesterday. I snatch. I mean, but it doesn't mean I have good shoulder mobility. Like I really have to fight for good positioning. It's not the sexiest stuff to do when you just want to get in and get out. If you know what I mean? No, no. I, I actually have one of those guns. My, uh, 
my wife and her family got one for me for Christmas and it comes with me to work almost every day. And I hammer my, you know, uh, front side of my quads, my TFL, um, into my glutes a little bit. I'll do that like two or three times a night when I'm working just to try to, cause my job go from zero to 60 real quick. You're sitting around for eight hours and all of a sudden you got to move. So I like to try to stay loose. I think those things are sweet. They work really well. What's the vibe at your department? So one of my buddies is a sergeant now, and he's a cool he's a cool cat. He played college baseball at Gonzaga University. His name's Jason, and he we competed um, at the CrossFit Games on a team a couple times. He even made it as a Masters a couple years later, did pretty well. But he's the only guy, seems like, on the almost out of everybody that does consistent strength and conditioning. And there's a lot of turds at his department. It's a bigger department than yours, but what's the vibe without you know throwing yourself under the bus? Let's just be real. What's the what's the your department's take on fitness and making it a priority? It's not. I don't. I don't know of any department in the state of Wyoming that it is a priority on. Um, there's no fitness culture in for the first responders here in Wyoming. It's probably my biggest pet peeve with my job. I love all the people I work with, but. You know, my crew's pretty good. Three of the five of us are all in pretty good shape. My sergeant, like I said, he lives with me. Big, strong dude. Um, another guy on my crew is another big, strong dude. But I just, it's a big pet peeve of mine because when you walk up, like, I mean, as you know, people just like on elk would do, you judge someone based off their physical appearance and how they carry themselves. And if a guy, as a law enforcement officer, if you approach a situation and you just look like you've got your stuff together, that alone can keep you out of 50, 60% of the problems that could happen. Mm. You don't even have to do anything. You just look confident and you, you know, well kept and you take care of yourself. It means a lot, I think. So, well, I know we could talk fitness all day, but we should probably, let's kind of move into that, that part of the year where you are done messing around with mule deer and it's game time. Are you a solo elk hunter or do you hunt with a squad? Um, family only for the most part, couple good friends, uh, just some of the spots that I have, um, and that we have, you know, I guess within our family tradition spots, I just don't feel comfortable taking many people into, they're not necessarily the hardest places to go, but they're places that have always produced. And so we got a pretty small circle of, you know, my brother, father-in-law, I hunt with them a lot. My brother, he also works for the sheriff's office up here with me. Our days are the exact same days off. I hunt with him a ton. And then uh, my father and then my other brother that live down in Colorado, I hunt with them both too. So like-minded people with roughly the same fitness, uh, I guess, caliber. So we can all keep up with each other. Definitely. I think chemistry is really important. And if you're hunting the front or back country and you get to a point where your hunt sucks due to weather, hunting pressure, predators, or you guys just are kind of sucking at elk hunting. Cause we all do that. It's kind of nice to have a partner that kind of is the opposite of you. Like when you're maybe you just missed a bull and you're in the lowest of lows, they could it'd be cool if they could be at the highest of highs and like keep you fired up and motivated or, you know, maybe you're feeling homesick or a cheeseburger sounds really good and they could, you know, it'd be nice if your hunting partner wasn't like, yeah, man, that sounds, let's, let's just go down and get a burger. The elk aren't talking anyways. We'll come back. It's just nice to hunt with people that, you know, can kind of help pick you up when you're down, vice versa. 
what else is that? What else am I missing when it comes to selecting a good hunting partner? You got to, you got to mesh with them. I've hunted other than last year when I hunted with just my dad with his limited quota tag up here. I hunt, hunt with my brother who works for the sheriff's office up here quite a bit. And like, he's a super selfless dude when it comes to hunting. And it's awesome because like I having killed quite a few like pretty good bulls sometimes i'll pass elk and he's really easy to talk into a really nice bull like oh dude that's a that's a 310 bull you should shoot him and instead of him be like oh he's like oh yeah <laughs> and so it's awesome and if i find a bull like if it's my shot or my turn i mean he'll go to the ends of the earth to help me get a shot at that bull so it's being able to work with somebody like that means a lot my the, in 2018 i killed a big bull and he was a four mile like weave trip around private to get into. And, uh, it was my shot. He, he had a shot earlier that week. Didn't go well for him. And, uh, took us forever to get back into this elk skirt in the private. It was so bad. So that I had to call my sergeant, like, Hey, I'm on a huge bull. If I get him, I'm not going to be able to make it into work tomorrow night. Like there's no way I'll be able to get him out of here. And Ross called and he ended up, getting the one of the cows that that bull had been running around a lot talking back to him he called that cow in and i was able to get an arrow in the bull and at no point in time did he ever i mean he could have shot at the bull at a longer shot than he's comfortable with but he didn't want to ruin it for me since it was my turn so it's pretty awesome being able to hunt with people like that mm, that's really cool your sergeant sounds like he's the man so you're married and you have kids no kids is that part of the deal or to be determined to, well, we're going to have kids. So my wife's actually an ER doctor and she's in her third year of residency right now. Mm-hmm. So she, so really I'm not even married. I mean, I have a wife, but she lives in West Virginia. So it's in, you know, she's, she's awesome. She knows that hunting means the world to me. Uh, she's, she's coming out here actually in October to do some hunting herself, but she never asked me to not go. Never tried to make plans during September. Um, but when she gets back, yeah, kids are part of the deal, which is I'm looking forward to. And it's going to cut into my September time a little bit, but such is life. I had a couple buddies that are, well, I guess they're still my buddies, but, you know, I don't see them that much. But they, they're they ER docs, and ER docs are pretty cool because they see a lot of crazy stuff. And they're kind of sick and twisted because you kind of have to, you got to be able to cope with that. And you too, as a degree of first responding is got to see some shit that you don't really, you kind of have to make light of or, or have a good sense of humor. But my point is ER docs are super talented docs. Um, they're like the crossfitter of the medicine, not a specialty. In fact, their specialty is not specializing. They can kind of do it all. And they save a lot of lives. So that's pretty uh, rewarding to have a wife pursue that career. Does she want to land in Wyoming? Yeah, ideally, um, that's where she'll be coming back to. It, it's looking now like that's what's going to happen. So if she were, I mean, if she works in Wyoming, the deal that we've done. So she was a collegiate athlete, too. That's what we actually, I asked her out the first time in the weight room in college. She was a soccer player while I was playing football. And, uh. We have, because of sports, no student loans or anything like that. Med school is all we have. And if she comes back to Wyoming with the program, they forgive almost all of it, if not all of it, depending on the contract that you cover. So she can do that. We'll be set. And I get to keep my hunting spots. Yeah. 
No doubt. So is hunting spots, would you say that's part of your success is that you have several, several years, if not decades, into these areas and you know them inside and out? People get romantic about their spots and I get that, but like how much do you explore new country when you have such good producing spots? Uh, quite a bit. You know, I'll, if, if things aren't going the way I want, I'll, I'll use like, you know, if it's especially early September and the bulls aren't doing what I want or they, you know, it's windy or whatever. And there's a spot, a drainage that I've wanted to check out. I'll motor in there. And it seems like more often than not, that ends up panning out really well for me. Um, you know, you find where, you know, maybe elk are hanging at a different time and you're maybe if they're still kind of like pre-ready, all of a sudden you, you know, come into a group of bulls in that draw or that drainage. So it, I bump around quite a bit. Um, the fact, since I hold my brother-in-law and my brother up here quite a bit, we'll all scout different spots and we're not selfish with them. Like we, we all hunt the same spots with each other if we find it. So like if my brother-in-law is working at the fire department and you like, bulls were screaming in this drainage i'll roll in there the next weekend so when do you hear the best like the best elk vocalizations if you're talking about wyoming because you know it opens september 1st but like you said you're gonna mess with mule deer is it just historically better for you to kind of put the first week on ice and maximize your time off the starting the 8th 9th 10th so if i had it if i had a limited quota tag i'd be hunting at the first um i I killed a 3.30 bull, 7.30 in the morning, September 1st, one near 2012, bugling his ass off. I mean, you would have thought it was September 20th. You know, I couldn't believe how fired up that bull was. And he, he came in on a string. It was one of the coolest hunts I've ever done. I was by myself. I cow called like two times to him once I got under 100 yards. And the rest was history. I mean, he came in at a trot and I shot him at 30 yards. I couldn't mm. believe it. Um, that hasn't really panned out for me. Other than that year, I've noticed around like the the eighth, things really start kicking off, and then up and down, you know, till the end of September. From there, I've never hunted a general tag in Wyoming. That's going to change this year. So this is a selfish question, but I hunted a limited quota, and I was in there the day before the opener, and I called in a herd bull with fifty cows, two twenty yards. And he just raked a tree right in front of me, filmed the whole thing, greatest footage ever. And it took it took a little bit of coaxing, if you will, but nothing to write home about. And I just don't see that happening in a general unit. So what can I be prepared for? The biggest thing that I've known, I've, I've had unbelievable success calling and, uh, and hunting in, in general units. It's just the size of the bulls seem to seem to change quite a bit you know when i i almost use years that i have a general tag is kind of a pressures off here and just have more fun with it instead of looking at at horns i'm not like a huge huge trophy hunter but if i have a limited quota tag i want to shoot a bull that i'm happy with for me now that's usually at least 330 maybe 340 general tag if it's a six point he's 240 or 340 i'm probably going to shoot him and uh i've just noticed the caliber of the bulls unless you're up in the Grizz country, which I don't hunt, um, is substantially worse. Hmm. But I've had great luck. I've, I've, I haven't noticed call shy elk. Um, maybe it's just because of the spots I hunt. I don't know. But I've, I've never had a year where the elk haven't responded well. If you had to kind of 
give it a percentage. How what percentage of the time are you glassing, spot and stocking elk versus vocalization, getting in like timber, getting in tight? Uh, hundred percent vocalization on general the general places I hunt. It's all just big deep seas of timber. The limited quota tags are pretty open, glass and call both. I don't ever try to call herd poles in. Um, it's just not worked well for me. I like to to use being in shape and cut them off and then kind of trying to find them after they bed their cows and maybe call them, you know, away from their cows or do something. But, uh, yeah, all my, all my general elk hunting has been dark timber. Got a call to locate them. Can't glass at all. Okay. Well, I'm glad you mentioned some herd bull tactics. I wanted to kind of, <clears throat> that was mainly my main objective of bringing you on today was kind of dive there. So let's get to that before I run out of time. You said intercept or get in front of them. That's not super easy to do because herd bulls have cows. Cows are usually out in front, and especially that lead cow, she's just a royal pain in the butt. So, how are you, what's the what's the the little inside tips and tricks tactics to kind of skirt the herd, get in front, but not get busted and get that bull on that way? Yeah, I think if, especially I think knowing the country helps a lot too. If you kind of have an idea, especially if you've hunted in the past and kind of have an idea of where they're going to bed. Um, which I've been screwed before when other bulls come in and they run, you know, cows around and bulls out, but it's hunting, I guess, but being able to like, kind of put yourself in position to make that final move. Would you know the cows go to bed down? That's all, all three of my biggest bulls have came in the middle of the day when all the cows are bedded, they get up, they might be checking cows and then I'll creep in, you know, on the edge of the herd when he comes and checks one of those cows, slip an arrow into him. Um, calling wise, my dad killed an absolute monster bull last year. Absolute monster bull. And we were, we were using that tactic. We were kind of working out on the cows. He had, he had a ton of them. He probably had 35 cows working out on them. And I could, he came running in, he, he went to water. And then he, when he came back, he just was worked up into a frenzy. I bugled at him and he just, he was that type of bull that just took zero shit, for lack of a better term. I mean, he was going to run anybody else that was there off. He he cut me off when I bugled, started raking some sagebrush. I let him finish. I bugled at him. He cut me off again and started walking towards me, stopped and was looking for me. My dad was, you know, 40 yards in front of me. I turned my tube around and glunked at him a couple of times. He never broke stride until he was 30 yards raking a tree. My dad arrowed him. Um, some of the bulls in that country that I've shot – was that was the complete opposite. They'd answer you or they'd, you know, answer my brother or brother-in-law, but they wouldn't come in. So I had to like, you know, it took me an hour and a half with my boots off to work in 40 yards from one of the cows and just wait till he come by them. Okay. So I like that tactic. It is definitely tricky to get in tight, quote unquote, to a herd and know that that bull may be bugling from his bed. He may get up and rake. He may get up and go get water and come back. He may get up and go poke cows and get him to stand up and scent check them. Or he may not do any of that and just stay in his bed most of the day, depending on his attitude, depending on biology. So how close is too close? When is it like a bad idea with, you know, swirling winds or maybe a, a change in, in your primary wind direction all of a sudden for a second? Like, 
that's I mean, there's a lot of details there I know, but I'm I'm asking because I think that's a really viable tactic. Yeah. Um I mean there's 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 just no way there's no substitute for the wind. If if you don't have that, you don't have anything. Uh and there's times I've, I've let elk go that I wanted to go after because the wind just wasn't going to pan out for me. In 2017, I killed my biggest bull and, uh, I was so dead set on climbing up over this ridge to get up above him. And thank God to talk about hunting partners. My brother-in-law was there. We were, it, it's, it was snowing that day. We were on the edge of a cliff and I'm holding my bow in one hand. I'm like, I got to get up over this. He's like, you know you can't shoot him if you die, right? <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, but the wind's good this way. And, uh, so we ended up finding an alternate route. But, I mean, it was it was one of those, like, he was just in such a perfect spot. And, I, and the, there was a storm blowing in. We just had the wind hard in our face. And there was no other play. There was his cows, the way they were bedded, like, there was no other play. So, I don't know. I think reading the bull is a, just as big, like you were saying about them you know, being in their bed, not getting up, you know, scent checking cows. I think if you're in the open country and you can read kind of a bull's attitude, I think you can kind of make a play off that if you understand what they're doing. Um, if it's early in the year and they're going to go bed off by themselves, you know, downwind of their cows, wherever they can see them. If you don't have the perfect wind, that might not be a good idea to go in there and blow them all out and move them two drainages away. But if you can watch him and see him getting up checking cows all the time and you can get the wind right. Herd bulls are also just a different breed. Like some will do some stuff by the book and then the others, they've just, they're, they've reached that age class because they just do off the wall stuff. What is some of the craziest stuff you've seen herd bull behavior um, in your hunting experience? Cause you've been targeting those bulls. Um, in one of the units I hunt up here, one of the things I've noticed is that the really big bulls, they just don't give a crap about you calling at all. So, you know, they've got their 15, 20 cows. They know they're the baddest man in the draw. A lot of times they, they'll bugle back at you, <clears throat> even if you cow call, but they, they have no interest in coming and checking you out half the time, it seems like. Um, I haven't noticed any like way off the wall other than, I guess two years ago, I watched a bull bed with 30-some cows out in the open. He followed one cow two miles away and was gone for like an hour and a half. And then I watched him come back across this sage flat. <laughs> it was like he left all of his cows for an hour and a half to follow this cow into like, you know, three drainages over. And then he came back to all of his cows and, and stayed with them for the rest of the day. I had never seen that before. That was wild. Yeah, that's, you know, I've actually seen that where bigger bulls will have 30 to 40 cows. And like, it seemed like almost, I've seen this with my own two eyes where they'll literally hook one cow out of 40 and court her off for the day and then come back. And I think that's, that's a good tactic to, to note. And, and what I saw was as soon as he took off with his, basically the cow that's hot, all the satellites came in and thought, and they started just bickering over who was going to take over the herd for a couple hours. And so, yeah, I have seen that. And that is really special. You're lucky to see that, man. I wish that happened more often. I feel like that's a great time to slip in and wait for him to come back. Um, but no, I just don't see that happen a lot in, in most places. And where I saw that was in Wyoming. So maybe that's a Wyoming deal. Um, as far as elk calls and elk sounds, like what's your kind of go-to vocalizations? Um, 
my dad is who I learned from and he, you know, grew up and, and cut his teeth in the whole super aggressive bugle at everything era. And he's in really good shape too. And so that's good. We're pretty aggressive elk hunters. And, uh, I, I like to bugle. I'm not scared of bugling either. Um, as long as you do it at the right time, I'm, I'm a real big believer in like hanging back for a little bit, especially if they're super vocal and trying to figure out a bull's personality. In my opinion, I don't think elk are all that much different in people in terms of their temperament. You know, if you start hollering at a dude's girlfriend in the parking lot, 10 different dudes, you're going to get 10 different reactions. A couple of them might come punch you in the mouth. A couple of them might take them and run away. And I think kind of figuring that bull's personality out for half an hour, 45 minutes, instead of just running right in on them, I think it can pay out big for you. And some of the bulls, you know, you think you can bugle at, I'm not scared to do it at all, especially right if I get up in their, in their living room when I'm, when I'm in striking distance of them. It's worked really good for me. Nice. So the last thing I want to talk to you or pick your brain about is how you approach sleeping on the mountain versus sleeping at your truck, spike camp, backpack style, how much you move around. I always like to do kind of like a gypsy mobility check with really good elk hunters. So try to try to break that down to, for us as far as what that looks like for a week straight or a two week stretch, like, and we followed you along, what would that look like? Um, if I'm hunting general, uh, the pretty much all, like it's almost all backpack hunting. There's been times by myself where I'll come back to the car at night. Um, just cause I didn't want to pack my camp out and I wasn't necessarily far enough in to really warrant sleeping back there. So, you know, it was, you know, two and a half, three miles out. It wasn't that big a deal. And I was sleeping better in my car and I didn't have to carry the extra weight of my camp. But generally, I'll be two to three days worth in my pack, three days, and then I'd say it's average for me. And I'll just stay back there for that. If I can't get it done, then I'll come back to my truck, refuel, either move spots or head back in. Um, limited quota tags. I haven't had to backpack hunt. can pretty much come back out to the vehicle every day with those, at least the ones that I'm the areas that I've been hunting. It wouldn't really do you any good to backpack hunt into them. But the generals, I won't stick around in a spot more than a day or two. If the elk aren't doing it, I want them to. In a general spot, I'll move. I'm not going to hunt non-vocal elk when I have the whole state with a general tag to hunt. So I just I don't enjoy hunting quiet elk with a bow. Me neither. Um, so the limited quota for you guys as residents, is that strictly random? Mm-hmm. 100% okay. random. Yep. And uh, my dad actually drew that tag that uh, – I usually try to get in. He drew it in the random last year. He had points, but he didn't have enough points to draw it. So it was, he drew in the random. So there's the random for the non-residents too. But ours is, you know, all the tags I put in for between 20 and 35%, I guess, every year. It's been that way since I've been applying. Okay, not bad. And then you fall back on general. Do you mess with Colorado from an elk hunting perspective or do you stick to your home state? Building points. I'm using, I'm going to use my points for when, uh, when my bride gets back and we have kids, that's cause I'm not going to be able to take every week off realistically then. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to use that as a, I'm, I have enough points to where I can do a really good archery hunt. So that'll be my hunt for the year. One of those years I'm going to burn, you know, a dozen or so points on a unit. So how many points do you have in Colorado right now? I believe it's 11 right now. So you're, yeah, I think I'm like 12 and it's just kind of a, mm, not the best place to be. Mm-hmm. 
but I was hoping that some people in front of me get drawn, but it's not looking good, Brand. Like kind of in a purgatory zone, to be honest with you. Yeah, and it's just it's one of those deals where you're either going to chase the northwest corner or you're going to settle. <laughs> it's what it seems like. What sucks is I've seen it guys settle, and so the next best unit gets blown up, and then the next best unit below that gets blown up, and and really we're starting to drop tiers down to where when I started out my my dream was to hunt the northwest corner, you know, maybe two hundred one or something, and then by Dinosaur National Park, and and then. You know, then you're like, all right, fine, I'll hunt like maybe 76, and and I'm that's not even in striking distance, and then so it drops down. I'm not gonna say any more units, but then it drops down to the next one, and uh, it drops down to the next one. So I don't know what I'm gonna do. I got way too many points. For me, Colorado's a long drive. I live in Washington, and so I'm driving through Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Oregon. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I will drive for New Mexico if I could ever draw a darn tag uh, or Arizona. But, you know, Colorado for me, it's kind of like the the melting pot of all the flatland East Coast, Midwest, which I got nothing but love for those guys. But, dude, that's the most convenient place for them to elk hunt. It's the closest state to them. It has the most elk. It has unlimited, you know, over-the-counter tags for the most part. It's just not high on my priority to go there for over-the-counter I don't blame you, especially with, you know, my parents and my one brother living down there. That place is, especially nowadays, it's it's not the state I grew up in, that's for sure. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I my second biggest bull, it was a general archery Colorado bull out of a wilderness unit. You know, 350 plus bull that I killed out of there yeah. with a, you know, release that went through my hand and a three pin square sight on my pse marauder (laughs) but it was it was uh an area i grew up hunting with my old man you know you we take a sheep trail up into it and just you know now that same unit you still don't see many hunters in but the backpackers and the trail hikers and stuff that are up in there it's nuts it's just a different state than i guess what i'm it's it i'm with you it's hard to burn that many points on a unit that you could possibly just be dealing with an obscene amount of people in yeah i feel you so let's wrap this up with kind of like adam's best practices adam's tips for elk hunters who listen to this podcast because we mainly talk to people like yourself who are blue collar hard-working public land over-the-counter general tag type hunters you know i don't bring a lot of folks on who maybe hunt private ranch has got nothing against it. Maybe buy land under tags got nothing against it. It's just, I'm trying to cast a bigger net and get some of the folks that are a little bit more our style. Sure. And th- and they're looking for any and every advantage. So maybe it's your top five, maybe it's your top three. Maybe it's just one thing to focus on to maybe give themselves the best chance to be a go from a 90% or tag soup to a 10% or punch tag year after year. I, there's, I think there's a lot of little, I have one main thing, but it stems into a lot of little ones. And that just be, you know, you be honest with yourself and stay in your lane with what you're doing elk hunting. If you're not in awesome shape, don't try to like, you can listen to me. I, I, if there, if a bull bugles, I'm going to go see what he is. That's just how I hunt. 
I don't like, like, I hate for me, the whole old saying, Oh, you need to take a knife and fork and potatoes down there. Cause you got 364 days to recover from going down there. Go see what the bull is. If you, if you're not in good enough shape to do that, be real with yourself. Don't blow your wad on the first day of your hunt. Completely take yourself out of an elk hunt that you just paid. You know, especially if you traveled out of state to come do. Uh, be real with your calling abilities. If you're not good at calling, don't nonstop bugle and cow call to a bull and run them all the way around the mountain. I mean, I just, I think kind of knowing your strengths and your weaknesses as an elk hunter can, and playing into those. You know, I, I like to use fitness as my, I, I believe elk hunting's effort driven. So I go look at, but you know, I can go look at bulls and do all that stuff. If I wasn't, maybe I'd concentrate on an area that I knew had constant elk activity and wait for them to come in there. Just kind of stay within your strengths. I love that. Tell me about this lucky hat you wear. My, uh, my old AAE archery hat. Yes. I've seen pictures just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't know. I, I bought it in, in 2017 when I ordered some, some veins, cause those are the veins I use in, uh, it's like, oh, that's a sweet hat. It's blue. You know, it's going to make my eyes pop in pictures. Got to have it. And uh, I started killing bulls every time when I was wearing it. And I was calling bulls into like three and five yards. And they're looking at me. And I'm like, eh, maybe it's, the, maybe, you know, maybe the blue's got something going with it. So I've just stuck with it. It doesn't smell good. I would argue that it looks good, but I don't think my wife would. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know? But, uh, she, that's, I remember the first, so I had a different hat, the first big bull I killed when we were dating, but, uh, I don't think she really understood what like a dude smelled like that was backpacked for a couple days and then carried the head and cape of a rutting bull over his shoulders and then got on his hat and she made me throw that hat away. (laughs) (laughs) But this one's not going anywhere, man. I've lost it probably 20 times and staying strong. The bill's fading on it, but it's been good to me. Well, dude, I'm going to post a picture of that bull for this, for the show artwork. I'm going to get, try to find that picture of your dad's bull from, I think it was last year. You said he killed a monster. Um, that was a limited quota. That's just an unbelievable bull. What was he? Was he, he, he was a, he's a six by seven. Um, but he's got, you know, he's got a split on his fifth and, uh, he's just, the pictures, I like pictures don't even do the mass on that bull justice. Like I have big hands. I mean, I'm six three. I wear XL gloves. Like I can't get my hand around his fourths. I can't touch. He's not even close. And uh, uh, when he, that thing looked like something out of a fairy tale. When we worked in on his cows, when he went to get water, we hadn't seen him yet. He was just bugling, and he came trotting in through the sun. I just, I was like, excuse me, <laughs> what is that? It was, I mean. Coolest bull, coolest hunt I've ever been a part of. I don't know about Wyoming, but generally in North Idaho, if a bull sounds big, he is big. And that's, I haven't seen that across all states. I've hunted almost every state out west. But what's it like in Wyoming? Or can you just not judge a bull by its bugle? Uh, I, I mean, I, I use it for sure. He sounded like a good bull. Um, we could see a lot of his cows in this unit. I've never seen a bull that had as many cows, you know, 30 cows that, that wasn't a shooter. Yeah. I'm sure, there are, I'm sure there are, but he sounded pretty average. He wasn't super, you know, I really like growly bulls. If I have three different bulls bugling and one's like super growly, it just sounds like, you know, something out of Jurassic Park. He's the one I'm going to go after. 
but that bull that I was telling you about that I killed in Colorado, that, uh, three fifty some bull, he, he sounded like a raghorn. He had this trumpety little beta bugle. <laughs> beta bugle. I'm stealing that. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do generally, I, I would say I, I, I judge him by their bugle for sure. He, he, he sounded good. He sounded like what you would expect a big herd bull to sound like just when he came running back to his cows after getting water, just that much mass is not something I'm used to seeing. You know, he's just palmated on his main beams and on his tines. And I was just stoked because my dad was, you know, he's been putting in for moose in Colorado. He's got like the max points for moose in Colorado. Um, been putting in for here. He's kind of down on his luck with the whole draw system. And so when he drew that tag, you know, I don't, I don't know if he really, he's, he's on a general his whole life. He's never hunted limited quota in Colorado. Even that dude, he's, he's just a killer. He goes in and he kills, you know, good bulls every year with his bow or black powder. But he's not super picky. If he's, you know, his upper end bulls were all like 330. And for him to get this bull on that and make good use of his points is just awesome. How old is your dad? He will be 60 this year. He kind of looks like um, a badass. Sorry, folks. But he just looks like a, a lean, mean elk hunting machine. Like, what is your dad's secret for those older listeners that are like, need to hear some inspiration? Uh, he's pretty black and white with stuff if, with, with him, as far as like fitness goes, I think he, he's the most stubborn dude you'll ever meet. And he is really, I mean, perfect men, mental toughness is not even close to lacking with that dude. So, I, you know, if you got to go somewhere, his whole thing is just, you know, nut up and do it. And, you know, he works out like he now he's, he's been a mechanic his whole life. So he's always got up and underneath cars, worked hard turned wrenches and then he comes home and he works out or he works out before he would go and work come hunting season. He throws 60 pounds in his pack. They live on some property. They got a, I bet it's probably 450 yard hill behind their house, super steep. And he rolls up and down that a few times. And it's just funny listening to how he describes it. Cause you know, you and I would be like, Oh, that workout kicked my ass. Like, dude, I got like six trips out of the hill up there and my quads were pumped. It kind of sucked. Like, what do you mean it kind of sucked? I'd be puking if I did that. <laughs> oh, so he's tough as nails. Um, you don't have, I'm assuming you don't have social media and neither does your dad. Uh, we both have a Facebook, but a Facebook? that's about it. Yeah. I've, I've been saying I was going to make an Instagram for the last four years and I just never have. I don't, I don't really know why. You know, I, I, there's good and there's bad. So it's a necessary evil for me and my business. But, I mean, if you can avoid it, I'm all about it. But if you had one, I'd plug it. Um, I will put your link to your Facebook account. So if people do want to connect with you after listening to this, that's great. Your season's looking pretty good. Where do you think you're going to end up as far as um, hunting time and stuff? I, you kind of alluded to hunting deer and, and you're scouting for deer tonight when we get off here. But what what kind of time do you have allocated for elk season specifically? So this year, since I didn't draw a tag, um, I'm not going to take any vacation in September because I'm taking vacation when my wife comes in October. It's just the nature of the beast. With her being gone, I got to take the vacation where I can spend time with her. You know, And I still got four days off every week to hunt elk. So what I'm going to probably do is I'm going to make my first trip in, see how that goes. If I need to take any vacation, then I might just plug one or two days on the end of each of my days off through the rest of September, just so mm -hmm. I have five days to hunt in a row and 
if I can do two or three stretches of that, I mean, dude, if I don't take any time off, I still have like 15 days to hunt elk. So here's what I would say about that, Adam, and this will finish for guys listening that maybe in the similar situation, I'm going to argue that you have an advantage. Hear me out. You, you go hunt for four days and then you go back and pull your shifts. Well, you're not running calls 24 seven on your shift. There's going to be some downtime and you're going to be obsessed thinking about every step of your next outing, where you're going to park, you're going to be visualizing where you're going to bugle from, what they're going to be doing. And it's like this undeniable advantage because I've done it where I've had to, I've been forced to leave the elk mountains to come back for something. And I'm a serious threat the second I step back out on those woods. Whereas sometimes when you have several, several days in a row or weeks even, you you might squander a day or here or might not try as hard. You might be more worn out or not as mentally sharp because you didn't get that break and build up that anticipation and get back out there. So I think that's a deadly combination. Yeah, I, I that's, that's actually my preferred way to hunt, even if I do have a big chunk of uh, vacation time built up. I like just... I mean, going hard in the paint three or four days, not necessarily not hunt on like the fourth or fifth day, but just kind of recover, get yourself mentally prepared again, hammered again, you know, just chase every bugle you see for another three to four days. And then kind of use the weather to dictate what I'm going to, how I'm going to do that. You know, if I got a front coming in that I think is going to be good on the front of the back end of it, you know, I might take my little day off a day early or late, but yeah, I love it. Well, man, thanks for coming on. I guess uh, I thought of one last thing to ask you, and then we'll close it out. So are you a moon phase guy? And if so, give us like your narrative of how you hunt through the moon phases. If I had to be, I would probably hunt on the backside of a full moon if I could. Um, but that bull that I was telling you about in 2012, I killed at 730 in the morning. It was a full moon. You know, it got up to like 94 degrees that day. I mean, it had every single thing that makes an elk hunt bad going for it. First of September, full moon, super hot, and they were ripping. So I just don't know. I mean, I, I think you can listen to all the, you know, elk experts out there, but at the end of the day, they didn't send that text message of that bull who smelled a cow and he decided to start bugling his ass off. So you just got to be in the woods. Just if you got your time, if you can't make it, you know, around the ideal mood phase, I think you just got to go. Couldn't agree more. We'll end it there. Adam, thanks for your time. Guys, thanks for listening. Link to Adam's Facebook will be in the show notes if you want to connect with him. Good luck. Separation is in the preparation. And we will catch you on the next one. Hope you guys enjoyed that podcast with Adam. What a great dude. Adam, thanks for your service. Thanks for being an awesome law enforcement. Thanks for being a guy who works out really hard every day in the name of better elk hunting. I can't wait to hear about your adventures this season as well as those listening. I want to thank you all for supporting Elk Shape Podcast. I want you to know you can always count on us to deliver awesome content that's relatable, authentic, and it's not fancy or fluffy. It's not really salesy. We're just here to offer a couple things. And I guess this is what I am selling. Hard work pays off. 
Delayed gratification pays off. If you put the work in, then you deserve that shot opportunity. Don't squander it. Don't take it for granted. And be safe out there. Have fun. I just want to thank you all. Welcome to Elk Season 2020. We'll keep dropping episodes throughout the season. Right now, I'm probably somewhere in Idaho or Montana. And uh, I hope you shoot straight. Good luck, guys. And we'll catch you on the next one.